calling all queens It's time we live out our dreams It's the year to 30, girl, the year to 30 Getting financially free and we healing and hurting It's the year to 30, girl, the year to 30 Loving me and all my queens cause we know we are worthy It's the year to 30, girl, the year to 30 Getting financially free and we healing the hurting It's the year to 30, girl, the year to 30 Loving me and my queens because we know we are worthy Welcome back to another episode of the 30 Girl Podcast. It's your girl, Keisha Joe, And your co-host, Tia Noel. Yes. And we are so excited. We have an amazing addition to the podcast today, Miss India Hall. Thank you, India, for joining us. Thank you both for having me, Keisha and Tia. I'm super excited to be on uh, and talking about real estate and entrepreneurship today. Yes, awesome. we're excited. All of the keys that we need in life. Yes. <laughs> Home ownership and entrepreneurship. Those are two big topics and two big tasks. I feel like anyone that um, has looked into home ownership or if you're renting or anything like that, the process seems like so intimidating. Like it's crazy. I, I was looking at this meme the other day and it's, it was saying that how much people normally pay in rent um, that they thought the process of buying a home should be just as simple as it is for running. Wow. <laughs> and I agree. <laughs> it is. Yeah, look, it's so hard. Well, let me just say this. There are a lot of pre-steps to take in entrepreneurship and in buying a house. Um, but it's so attainable. And for me, I feel like it's just pairing yourself with the person, the right person that's going to provide you the knowledge you need to move forward. Um, so I'll stop there because we haven't even done introduction. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So first, first let, yes. And this is about to be so good, but yes, let everyone know who you are, what you do. <laughs> My name is India Hall. Um, I'm branded as the ultimate realtor. Um, I have a series of ultimate brands. Um, so, um, everything that I do is kind of, ha it has ultimate behind it. Um, so my company is called, um, the ultimate real estate group. And there's an umbrella of things under that. Um, I'm also a part of the beauty industry. We have the ultimate barber, um, the ultimate barber franchises, um, the ultimate salon suites, salon suites in Baltimore. Um, well, um, it's in Baltimore County. Um, so a series of ultimate uh, brands, entrepreneurship umbrella. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, uh, let me see. I've been a licensed real estate agent for 18 years. Um, I, I know that because my daughter just turned 18 and I was pregnant with her when I got my license. So wow, <laughs> that congratulations. is my, Yeah, thank you. Um, and I came into that um, because I actually lost my job. I actually lost my job and I was six months preg pregnant with my daughter. There's a whole nother backstory behind it um, in buying real estate myself and not having um, the, the resources or the people to tell me what I needed. I kind of did it blindly and learned in the process. And so for me uh, in my real estate platform, what I pride myself on is one, providing exceptional customer service. We have the five-star real estate experience, but also um, in providing education to my clients so they can be able to make informed decisions. So like every decision is not the right one for everybody. Real estate is not a one size fit all. Um, but the more you know, the more you're able to make the most effective decision for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Me, yeah. Cause <laughs> <laughs> we'd be lost. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. I I can I, I can hear the passion in your voice when you yes. talk about entrepreneurship and real estate. Like, where does that come from? You said that there's a story behind it. Um, where does that passion come from? Yeah. So real estate. So my so my first um, my first career um, is accounting. Um, I have a 
a bachelor's degree in accounting. Um, I have a master's degree in accounting. So like my first heart and passion is numbers, understanding finance and things of that sort. Um, but I, I was in the corporate arena. I worked for law firms um, in the later part of my career, um, started from a staff accountant all the way up to CFO. So I left my chief financial officer job wow. <laughs> and became a full-time real estate agent. Um, and while I felt like um, in climbing the corporate ladder, I felt like I wasn't reaching enough people, right? Like I wasn't living in my purpose um, and helping people fulfill what I feel like there was a void, like there's a void. So and when I say there's a void, I just feel like there's a void in education and people knowing what they're supposed to do in order to even get to the point of making a decision to be an entrepreneur or to be um to be a you know in real estate ownership and, and things of that sort and real estate can take you far like you don't have to be a real estate agent and do sales home ownership alone can you know can give you some you know some power and some financial stability um and there i mean there's so many things in real estate from in investing um being a wholesaler um being a flipper you buying and holding you know like just so many opportunities in real estate and i just feel like a lot of people don't know enough about that in order to know that they just need to jump in and you don't have to be you just have to start from somewhere yeah. right and just giving people the the encouragement to know that um they can start from somewhere um but going back to uh when i i mean so my background i really didn't have um anyone like single single parent household my mom didn't own any real estate at all ever um, and you know, I didn't have anyone like my grandfather owned real estate. We still actually even have our family house, but that's all I knew. Right. Um, but what I did know, like I, I knew that I wa didn't want to, cause we moved a lot when I was younger mm -hmm. and I didn't want to, um, you know, do the same thing for my daughter, just like shift and shift and shift. And there just seemed to be like no stability in what we were doing. We were just figuring it out. Um, and like if the rent got high or whatever, like whatever reason we were moving, it just was not stable at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and not in a bad way. Cause my mom is awesome. Like she really, really, um, you know, did great things for us and worked so hard. Um, but you know, there were some challenges and I felt like maybe if she would have known a few things, um, things would have been better. So, you know, just educating people, um, is what, you know, I just want to focus on and just let them know, like, um, what, you know, what, um, what they're capable of. And I, that definitely resonates with me. Like m my mom is awesome as well. And I felt like as kids, we moved around a lot too. Like we did too. as, as, as an adult, like you don't, it, as kids, you didn't think there was anything wrong with that. You was like, Oh, new house, new, new house. Room, new room. Room. Yeah. <laughs> but really it was, it was a really unstable environment. So there, there, there is no teaching about how important it is to leave that generational wealth to your kids or to have that place that you can call home and you know that no one is going to be able to take it from you or tell you, you have to leave unless of course you're not paying the the mortgage or whatever mm -hmm. um but I, I feel like a lot of us or a lot of our parents weren't given like you said those tools and that information to say you know what this is important my grandmother still has her um her house that she bought but I don't think she instilled that in her kids because I mean I have 11 uncles and aunts and I could probably two of or three of them probably own their homes yeah. so I don't think she passed on that information and instilled it in her children how important home ownership was yeah. and for them to like pass that on to their kids and their kids kids so yeah that's funny you say that because uh, my grandparents house is still there and stable so it's like it skipped the generation mm -hmm. so what was happening yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah it was important to our grandparents but it wasn't important to our parents but now mm -hmm. it's becoming important for our generation to own homes and leave something to our kids so yeah it's like it is kind of um that generation skip skip that generation for some reason yeah <laughs> what do you yeah. think it is india I that um yeah, I really just think it's just a lack of knowledge. It mm -hmm. was just a lack of knowledge. And even for me, you know, when I bought my first, I bought a condo in Alexandria. I think I was like, 
oh God, 20, 23, 24, something like that. And I just knew that I didn't want to rent anymore. Like I, you know, I was paying with a roommate, like, um, 500 and some dollars splitting it, um, with a roommate. And we, you know, we had two bedrooms. It was like $1,100 in Alexandria, something around there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we had lived there for a year. They were coming back and, you know, they were saying, okay, our, your rent is going to go up. And, um, my roommate, uh, was, is my best friend. And prior to living there, um, we had moved, we had, um, had another roommate. So it was three of us. Um, and we lived in that place for, I think, two or three years with the rent, you know, increasing. And I was just tired. I was like, you know, this is ridiculous. (laughs) So I just went exploring. Like I didn't have the knowledge either. So I think, um, for, you know, the generation above us, like our parents, they just didn't know. Right. And they were so, um, intertwined in, you know, making ends meet maybe for us that it wasn't anything that they researched or, you know, kind of. Um, got involved in or, or searched for, you know, the solutions for, I think for me, I just had a little bit more time and I just got tired fast. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, and no, I went searching for the answer. So my job, I feel like, is to just share what I know with people. Yeah, I love that. we're thankful for you for that. Um, Absolutely. Especially even with teaching credit, I think it's a fear of already you are people already have this fear of that it can't be done without even taking that first step which is to just go for it yeah um so I think that's like the biggest thing that a lot of us need to get over it because like you said it's a lot easier than you think it is and a lot of people are in positions um to make you know these ultimate moves and um they're not doing anything so these tools and resources that you provide um could definitely set others up for generational wealth and I love that yeah, thank Absolutely. you. Um, I think fear is just the number one factor across the board for everything and mm-hmm. everybody. Um, and we just need to learn how to move beyond our fears and operate in our in the in the zone that's not comfortable, like outside of that comfort zone in everything. <laughs> um, even, you know, from doing credit um, or, you know, understanding your credit and navigating that process, you know, real estate buying um, and even um, entrepreneurship. We just got to move out, outside of that that comfort zone. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's say I'm ready to buy. So mm-hmm. I, I made my decision. You know what? I need to buy something. Mm-hmm. What do you recommend people do first? Do you do they run out and find a realtor? Do they research? There's so many programs and so many resources out here. Sometimes it can get a little overwhelming when you're just trying to figure out where to start. So if I'm making that decision that I want to be a homeowner, if I want to get into like um, owning or flipping or any of like the real estate market, where would you suggest someone start? Yeah. Um, so you don't. I, so I, I call myself the ultimate realtor. I brand that way because I do full service real estate. You can come to me and not know anything. All you need to do is make the decision in your head, right? You need to say, yes, it's something I want to do. Um, you come to me, we do a consultation. So the first thing you have to do is just be paired with somebody that's going to lead you from beginning to end, right? I'm going to tell you, um, we're going to look at so when I ask a bunch of questions in my consultations, um, we we talk about like what your goals are, what 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 drove you to make the decision, so that I I'll know how to navigate. But first, um, you really like what's what's the most um, impactful outside of the of the decision to say yes is your financial profile, mm-hmm. um, and having the credit. Um, and the financial resources and resources doesn't always mean like having a boatload of money. Right. Um, but there are sometimes like in this particular market in 2020 and 2021, you do have to have some reserve. You do have to have something for the most part, if it's going to be a house that you just want to move into because it's so much competition out there. So, yeah. Um, but we talk through it. We talk through, you know, what it is that I think you might need. I pair you with a loan officer based on what I think you need. So like 
loan officers are not one size fit all. I don't necessarily um, recommend going directly to a bank because a bank will offer you only the products that they have. And the bank doesn't always offer like what you need. So um, it's good to be connected to a lender. I mean, a, a real estate agent that's connected. Right. Mm -hmm. So I have a, um, a, a bunch of lenders that I work with and they all specialize in different things from, you know, the, the resale um, person who who currently owns, but just needs to, you know, buy and, and uh, they need to sell and buy, or maybe do that at the same time. Um, the new homeowner um, that needs, um, you know, some down payment assistance um, and understanding the, the difference between um, down payment assistance and closing calls, because people say um, no money down, like no money down, no money down doesn't mean no money at all. Right. right. I think we, we get that mixed up, like no money down. So let me just explain what a down payment is because a down, um, because people um, say down payment, you say closing costs, you don't know what those things are. So down payment is um, the amount that you pay into your loan, um, it, the amount that the uh, you pay into the loan that the bank is giving you. So, for example, you have a house that's one hundred thousand um, dollars. Now, the bank is not going to in, in most cases, they're not going to lend you one hundred percent of that. They're not going to lend you the whole one hundred thousand. They want you to be invested in the property um, and they want you to put some money up. So they're saying, okay, if it's an FHA, you're going to put three and a half percent down. That's standard. Um, generally, if it's a conventional loan, and I can explain what those are, um, it starts at three percent. Um, so on a hundred thousand dollar house, if it's FHA, you'll put th um, thirty five hundred dollars into it. That's your down payment, hmm. right? So um, if it's conventional, starting at three percent, three thousand dollars. That's your down payment. So um, that's the payment that assists, uh, like you're assisting um, the, the bank with buying the property, essentially. So they don't pay, they pay majority of it. You pay the little part that you pay, even though it's not yeah. a small, it's a small right. percentage, but sometimes it could be a large amount. Right, right, right. Right. Well, um, here so in Maryland, nothing costs, I mean, I, I'm not going to say nothing, but $100,000 is kind of like... <laughs> Yeah, low. Right? Nothing is on the market for $100,000. No, <laughs> you get a yes. shed built in somebody's backyard for $100,000. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, typically um, anything less than $100,000 is going to either have really high condo fees, um, mm -hmm. which, you know, is acceptable. Like, it depends on where you want to be and what's what works for you. Um, but it's not a lot of opportunity for less than $100,000 properties um, for m what most people need. Um, and so then we have our, so our down payment and then we have our closing costs and closing costs are costs associated with the purchase of the property. So that could be, um, your lender fees, the cost of getting a loan. Um, it, it's your title work for transferring, um, a title from one owner, from the owner that you're buying from, or the builder that you're buying from to yourself. It's, um, you know, it's having the attorney, uh, look at, you know, the title for you. It's, um, making sure that, um, you know, the, the property doesn't have any liens, judgments, encumbrances, and all of that stuff. It's, um, um, it's so there's tax, of course, when you buy a house, right? Um, mm -hmm. They call it transfer and recordation tax. It's that like you have sales tax when you purchase up. It's transfer and recordation taxes when you when you buy real estate. So these costs, um, it is your prepaids. So when you buy a house, um, you have your um, principal interest taxes and insurance. So not only are you paying that loan back with some interest, you're also paying um, the property taxes on the the house um, on a you know monthly basis, and you're also paying your hazard insurance. So like car insurance, mm -hmm. hazard insurance is if anything happens to the house. Um, so all of that is rolled up in a mortgage payment, um, and that's you know pretty much what your what you like part of the the cost of the house. Um, so you have all of those things that are happening at one time. Um, kind of lost my train of thought too. With, with <laughs> second, second oh, that was a lot. I'm sitting here trying to write it all down. I'm like, woo. And I like to lot. get this information only because there's so many people looking to buy. I think that's like everyone's number one goal to be able to own something, land, it, something. whether it be just dry land, you know, mm -hmm. where they can build on or 
a house for their kids. And I think, especially in this generation, which I'm seeing a lot, a lot of um, younger adults purchasing homes. So yes. we're definitely yeah. making and those I, moves. I think yeah, too, I when a lot of, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. When we, I, I feel like most people think when you start the home buying process, like you have to have money in the bank. You have to have a 800 credit score. You have to have everything, um, on the table when you go to a realtor because it's like all right I don't want to go to this person and then they come back and tell me you need more stuff so when you really the opposite it's yeah so when you when people are starting out this process um what should they be looking for in a realtor because I feel like that is the key to a, a smoother process so if I'm coming to you versus if I'm dibbling dabbling in a couple of realtors what is what should I be looking for when I'm picking my realtor yep number one someone that's going to have time for you mm-hmm. um, okay. because if they they're don't have time number. yeah if they don't have time for you they're not going to give you what you need period um someone who can educate you in the process mm-hmm. um someone who understands what you need and what you're trying to accomplish so that goes back to you know like you know, having the time. Um, If there's something specific that you're looking for, so if you're looking for land, you want a person that, you know, it specializes in land. If you're looking for residential real estate, you want a person that specializes in residential real estate. Um, You know, so knowing, you know, the right person to be connected to based based off what your your desires are. Mm -hmm. Um, um, And I think really um, somebody that you connect with right? Somebody that you can be honest with. So if you don't have a connection with that person, like if you don't vibe, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to be honest. Yeah. Right? And you need to be able to go to your realtor and be like, look, I want to buy a house, but I only got $72 in my savings account. <laughs> That's right. right. <laughs> and my credit is about a 502. Correct. Correct. <laughs> Correct. But- and, I, and you know what's so crazy is um, when I ask people what their goals are when they start my credit process. And I'm like, you want to buy a home? If their credits are halfway, if they're, and I'm like, connect with the realtor and have them give you a map. That's literally what it is. So they, they give you a game plan. I'm sure you do the same thing, India. Mm-hmm. Um, and we work together, so I know you do. But um so you can follow these steps, like step-by-step guide on what you need to do next. The process isn't just signing up and then purchasing a house in a month. Mm-hmm. Like that yeah. home ownership process really is getting your finances together, separating accounts, you know, saving your money, things like that. Yeah. But I only got $72 in my savings. So what's next, y'all? What you gonna <laughs> tell you me? You need a budget plan. So that's what <laughs> the, that's, that's the steps. You need to budget and save and because it's always attainable it's just not you know give yourself some time yeah (laughs) and so and even though you must so like having some reserve um is better than none right but Mm -hmm. like it doesn't necessarily have to be in your savings account it could be you know your company tsp plan you know like 401k um Mm -hmm. those are um things that you can access if you have that um So that makes it a little easier for you too. Um, But those things, so if you can get, if you qualify for a down payment assistance program, which is, you know, that three or three and a half percent, like getting that um, and your close, the closing costs, of course, are, um, you know, extra. Um, And, and you can, so some people do move in with no money, not, not just down payment. So down payment and closing costs, you could, you can do that. Um, if the market is favorable for you. So that's not impossible. I don't want to, I don't want to take that off the table. Um, so there are opportunities for that. Um, in this particular market, it's usually not, um, for, uh, the houses that are in the best condition and stuff like that, like things that are moving and all of that, um, it's you, there are limited opportunities for um, to move in on those types of houses with with nothing at all. Okay. Um, yeah, but even but if your are, credit scores are perfect, and um, you still kind of get like the fixer up for homes with that type of program. Um, so say that again. If your credit is is excellent, so let's and, just say your credit is excellent. Um, you do have some 
money saved in the bank, but the type of program that you're in where there's no money down, you know, zero cost, that's mm -hmm. the, that's going to be like a fixer. No, no, oh. no, no. Oh, okay. So, um, so everything is negotiable. So, and then, so what I'm saying is if you just say there's a, there's a polished house on the, on the market, um, and, um, you know, everything is in moving condition, right? Um, your contract terms. So remember what you're offering or whatever your offer is to an owner, you're offering specifically to that owner, mm. right? So it's just a regular individual. So this individual might be completely have different expectations than the next house next door or mm -hmm. the other house that you saw you know, before you made an offer on this one, right? So you're appealing to each individual seller. It's not okay. like a one size fit all. So, um, so what's good for this house might not be good for the next house. You just so have the, to. Yeah. So this person may be okay with like you trying to throw in closing costs and down payments, but the mm -hmm. other person be like, nah, you got to handle your own closing costs. And yeah. I want, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And also it depends on the, the, the position of the seller because some sellers aren't able to do it because they don't have enough equity in their house right mm. and we don't know that most of the time as a buyer right like oh, we don't okay. know what the seller has as a buyer we don't know that um and most times we're not privy to that information until we get to settlement now it's up to your agent to pry <laughs> and to yeah, figure and out that like, information yeah right i'm gonna <laughs> ask as many questions as i can and see if i have a you know, I have a sharp agent on the other side, or if I don't, <laughs> like right. I ask all the questions that I can, I'm gonna prod that agent and see if they gonna they gonna bend <laughs> right. to get some information from my client. So you're um, the negotiator. So yes. you you give yes. you kind of give the information, like okay, this is what we should be going in at. This is what we should be asking for and trying to negotiate. And then me as the person buying the house, I have to trust you enough to be like, okay. Um, I get I, that's what we're gonna do because you said so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, I so I let my clients mo um, make the decision, right? I let them make the decision what, based on what they feel they can do or are capable of, right? But I I give them the pros and cons of what each decision can result them, right? Mm -hmm. So if we do this then, you know, that's more favorable to the seller, but it has to feel good to you because we don't want to give the seller everything. We want to give the seller as as little as we can, right? Right, right. Uh, but if I think there are other buyers um, that are offering the seller something as well, we have to beat those buyers out in order to get this house. So there has to be some flexibility on our side in this particular market, right? In another market, if it's a buyer's market, um, then you know, we have all the flexibility, but right now it's a seller's market in that inventory is still low. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, people are putting houses on the market and getting top dollar, even if the house isn't in great condition. That's what we're um, experiencing right now. Absolutely. I was just saying my neighbors put their house on the market and it wasn't even, they didn't even make it to the official open house and they already had an offer on it in three days. Yeah, and, awesome. and, and it was for over asking. And when we saw the price that they were putting it up for, it was, we was like, ain't no way. But then <laughs> he, and then they came back and he was like, yeah, I got over asking. I was like, what? Yeah. Okay. Three days. Like, okay. Yeah. So it's a really crazy market. So tell us about the current market and the shift um, it, I, I think what you said we're in a seller's market. So when do you anticipate it shifting back to being a buyer's market? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we're definitely in a seller's market right now. And I think it depends on an area in our area, DMV, we're definitely in a seller's market and there's some high and low spaces depending on where you are. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and a seller's market just means that, um, you know, sellers have, there are more buyers than sellers. So inventory is low which an inventory meaning houses that are available for people to buy. Mm -hmm. So the reason why it's such a seller's market is that the interest rates are so low and be, and we have so many buyers because they're trying to get into a low interest rate market. Now, this is definitely the time to buy for a buyer, which makes it also a buyer's market in that regard. So it makes it a buyer's market is because buyers, it's a seller's market, but it's favorable for buyers in that 
you getting the lowest the interest, low interest rates of rate all mm-hmm. time of all time <laughs> like interest rates have never really been this low yeah oh, I've been wow. hearing that I've yeah been hearing that yeah so imagine buying you know a house at um you know three hundred thousand dollars right now with a two and a half two and a half percent interest yeah, rate I was ready right? to say two point seven I think the last person I talked to their interest rate was like two point seven like, yeah what? that's what? super low you <laughs> likely never need to refinance that at all no that's um, awesome I mean generally the floor is two percent right like um like essentially the way it works with the federal reserve or however it is with the numbers they charge banks a flat amount right and then mm-hmm. banks put money on top of that and that's how they make money so what we get is the bank interest rate because we can't go to the federal reserve as consumers right, mm-hmm. right. um so if the if the federal reserve is charging the bank two percent the bank is only making 0.7 percent on a two and a half 2.7 percent loan right mm-hmm. so like the lowest is 2%. So like you really close to, it's like the bank really is not making that much money in this transaction. Right. Right. Which is a so, benefit to you later yeah. later on. Yeah. You wanted to sell like right now. Um, I so wish I was in the position to be buying and flipping and all of that. <laughs> <laughs> this is an awesome time to be doing that. Yeah. So we do want to talk about um, home ownership and the pros and cons of renting mm-hmm. um there's like this i see memes all the time saying like don't rent wasting your money and then you have some people who never want to own a home so yeah yeah um, what's your take on that okay so i and i think there's pros and cons to both mm-hmm. i think it's really about what the person needs right um because you know you're gonna give up some stuff either way um so renting Um, And I don't think it's bad to rent. I just think that if you want to buy, you buy, right? Um, And there are favorable things with buying. Buying gives you longevity, right? The Buying puts you in a game. It gives you longevity. It gives you, um, you know, the ability to leave something to your family, um, the ability to build wealth. It gives you that. Renting is not going to do that. There's no investment in that, right? However, Mm -hmm. if you're a person that doesn't want any responsibility, right? You, when you're renting, you're going to call the landlord. They're going to fix whatever is happening, right? So you don't have, I mean, you relieve yourself of that responsibility. If you're a person that, um, travels all over the world or or for work or what have you and you're not stable and you can't be in this one place um you know and stuck at you know a house because when you buy a house you're going to probably be there um Mm -hmm. then renting is probably better um so there are you know you know if you're positioned to rent it's okay to be the renter um but with buying um you definitely position yourself for um the long haul and let me just explain something about like a mortgage like a mortgage payment from the tax perspective now i'm not a a tax accountant but i kind of want people to understand this because people will say you know i pay thirteen hundred dollars in rent um and you know i kind of don't want to pay any more than that or what have you but you can you know probably pay fifteen hundred dollars because you get tax benefits or what have you it depends on your tax bracket but so let me just break down the mortgage payment you have your principal interest taxes and insurance um when i say insurance i mean hazard insurance and you also have mortgage insurance um, so your principal is what you pay back to the bank in order to, um, to to pay back the loan on the money that you borrowed. That's your principal. Um, the interest is basically how the bank makes their money. That's their fee for giving you this loan. So that's money that really goes nowhere. However, you write that off on your taxes. That's a write-off. Mm, okay. Um, Then you have your taxes, which are your personal property taxes. Um, Those are built into your mortgage too in an escrow account, which if we, you know, if we get to it, we can talk about that as well. But you have your property taxes. Um, Those are, um, you can write those off as well. So then you have your hazard insurance, which is, um, that's like your car insurance. If anything happens to the property, if there's a, a fire or, you know, an electrical problem that's, you know, that, that did something to the house, there's some type of damage to the house. 
um, then you would um, that, you know, that's that insurance covers covers that. Um, that is not a write off. That's an expense, but you need it. It's also the same as car. You don't get anything back for that um, unless you use it. And then mortgage insurance is insurance um, that the bank charges you for not having essentially 20 percent equity into your house. So once you have 20 percent equity into your house, your your mortgage insurance can drop off. Right. And, and VA loans don't have mortgage insurance, by the way. So there, this is basically, I'm talking about like standard loans. Um, So there's some other loans that, that mortgage insurance doesn't apply to. Um, But, but mortgage insurance um, is a small cost for, for if you default on your loan. So the bank wants to be insured if you don't pay your mortgage. Right. Yeah. That's for them. It doesn't benefit you at all. That's for them, but you pay it. Right. right. You pay it because you didn't put enough into your transaction. They want you to have tw- um, 20% equity. But remember, okay, you only like... have three or three and a half percent when you first buy because you put down three through three and a half percent. Just like in, um, contributing to your retirement plan. They want you, some companies want you vested. Yes. Before you could. They match. Yeah. yeah. Before they match or you could, you know, get full access to your funds. Yeah. So, so they want you to have skin in the game, right? Mm-hmm. So you have this five-part principal interest taxes, um, hazard insurance, and mortgage insurance. Even if you were paying $1,500, which is $200 more than $1,300 for rent. So if your mortgage payment was $1,500 versus your rent $1,300, you got two parts of that that you were write, you're writing off on your taxes. You, you're writing off that interest and then taxes. And then you're also building equity every principal uh, payment that you make. Mm-hmm. So equity, equity is the difference between what you owe on your property and what the value of the property is. That's so that equity. changes monthly or do they change? Is that a yearly? Um... No, equity can change every time you make a payment. Okay. Because remember, you're paying that principal down. Mm-hmm. And equity can also change with the market. So if the value of your house drops, your equity is lower. If the value goes up, your equity is higher. So it's a fluctuating thing, almost like the stock market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's almost like the stock market. <laughs> so the way you build equity is the value of your house increases, right? Like like right now, everybody is pretty much building equity because houses are selling, prices are going up, houses are selling, prices are going up. So the more the price goes up, the more equity you're building. So that's one way. The other way is paying this principal down. So every time you make a mortgage payment, you're reducing what you owe, unless you have a interest only loan, which is a whole different thing. But if you have a standard traditional loan and you're making payments and you're reducing what you owe to the bank, you're building your equity each time. Wow. Awesome. So let's shift gears here a little bit to the entrepreneur side of it. So mm-hmm. let's say that I wanted to get into like the flipping of the houses, the investing um, in it. Where would I start if I wanted to like, let's say, flip a house? Do I just go out and find a raggedy house that's on the market and be like, <laughs> I'm going to buy this and I want to flip it? Or a condo. Small. What do I need to know about the, that that market? Yeah. Um, so first of all, if you want to flip a house, you have, it's a numbers game. It is a numbers game. You got to be able to do math first. <laughs> well, I'm out. <laughs> so when investors buy houses, um, the, the typical formula that I use, now you can go into more detail, but this is like a raw formula to even know if you should be looking at that property. Um, it's um, 70% of the ARV. So ARV is after repair value. After repair value is the amount that if that house was fully renovated, if if you've done your, if you've put everything, you know, in the house and it's great, like what that house was sell for fully renovated. So after repair value. So after you make all the repairs that you could to the house, how much is that house worth? Right. So you project how much you know, that house is worth, that's the after repair value. You take 70% of that. Um, Now that's your discount, essentially your profit that you're building in off the top as an investor. Mm -hmm. Now from that 70%, you're going to subtract what it costs you to renovate the house. 
So if renovations are 50,000, you subtract 50,000 from that number. So I can do the math for you. Like we're going to do simple, simple numbers. Um, just say you have a house that has an ARV, after repair value of $100,000. We're going to use simple numbers. Now, um, 70% of that is $70,000. So you are automatically know that you're not going to pay more than $70,000 for that house. You automatically mm. know that. Um, now you have to go into the house and you assess it and say, okay, I need to renovate this bathroom. I need to do the electrical, the plumbing, like, wow, how much is that going to cost me? You have your, your contractors, your professionals, whoever you're, you're paired with do an assessment and say, okay, this is how much it would cost. Right. Then you take that and subtract it from the 70. So just say they, they think it's going to cost $30,000, mm-hmm. um, with 70 minus 30, that's uh 40. So now you know you can only buy that house for forty thousand dollars unless you're not gonna make any money. Mm. <laughs> so that's it's a math game off the top. So don't even go to that property unless. So when you go to to the to the person, now you know you need to be negotiating for thirty thirty five, and don't go over forty. Right, you know your cap is forty. Mm, yeah. Okay. So I watch a lot of a lot of those shows on HGTV. Um, and they make where it look they're so looking easy. for yeah they do but they're looking for homes that have um that need the the least fixing mm-hmm. but for the cheapest price mm-hmm. so you can get a bigger return on your investment yeah um in this market are there homes out there for people especially in the dmv area like I'm sure you know where there's some hidden gems in the woods mm-hmm. somewhere mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, yeah. Um, yeah, there are opportunities, um, for investors. I would typically say they're not going to be on the real estate market. <laughs> mm, yeah. So these are, they, you need to literally ride around and shop for these. Yeah. Or the owners of these homes. Correct. That would be my, um, so you have to have a connection that way directly to the owner, because once they get on the market, you have other fees that are excuse me, associated with those. Um, so it's a different game that you're playing. Um, unless it's just sitting on the market and sitting on the market and sitting on the market and that mm-hmm. house is not going anywhere, then you have some flexibility, right? So then it could be a house that's on the market. But nine times out of 10, um, it's not going to be one that's already listed. However, mm-hmm. um, you have some investors who wholesale and wholesaling is when basically these these people scope houses with mm-hmm. this formula. Like they're looking for houses that fit this formula and they'll sell the house directly to you for a small fee. Yeah. And you don't so, need a license or anything to nope. wholesale homes. I actually did some research on that for a while. I was like a little obsessed about it. Didn't do anything with it, but it was YouTube <laughs> university yeah. <laughs> watching some videos. Um, and yeah, that is definitely an easy way to get in the re- um, real estate market too. just doing your research and finding yeah. your contractors and people who you could, you having your plugs mm-hmm. set in place to move some things around for you. Yeah. And a wholesaler would. So when we talked about that scenario, um, um, with a house that we would pay $40,000 for what a wholesaler would do is just, they would say, okay, I need to get this house for 30 and then you just give them 10. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that's how they make their money. They discount it even further than what you might need so they can get a cut. That's how they make their money. Awesome. So, but they've they already set it up for you. They've already set it up for you. The thing is, you got to trust the wholesaler because right. if their math is wrong, you're jacked up. <laughs> so you got to yeah. double check it. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very much. Real estate really is a different ball game. Um, and a lot, a lot more people are talking about it now, especially on social media and um, everywhere. So there's tons of information out here for all of you, everyone listening to get involved in some type of way. And the first step is, like India said, getting your finances in order, starting to get that cushion set for yourself and jumping out there. Yeah, definitely your financial profile. And you know that, Keisha, with um, the credit uh, repair. <laughs> um, I always suggest to my clients um, at least to have a 660 credit score. Um, loans can be done lower than that. Right yeah. at sixty, lower than six sixty. Mm-hmm. 
absolutely they can. Um, however, remember, this is something that you're um, married to basically for 30 years. You know, the mm -hmm. full commitment is 30 years. You don't have to stay there that long or you can sell or, you know, refinance or what have you. Um, but, you know, the, the commitment is 30 years, sometimes 15 if you want to do a, a shorter um, mortgage or over a shorter time period. Um, so you want to get the best opportunity that you have to cover that period, because what you're doing is making a decision decision now that can impact you uh, when you're 10 years older, when you're right. 20 years older, you know, when you're 30 years older. So um, so positioning yourself today um, with the best option. Um, is always good. And then I'll also say to people, um, if you target that 640, so what they do is when you get approved for a loan, the, the lender is going to pull your credit at the beginning of the transaction to get you pre-approved to, to see if they can get you pre-approved. So that's, you know, they're, um, they're looking at your credit then. And then before you go to settlement, which means before you sign the dotted line to buy your house, like they're going to pull your credit again to make sure that everything is in the same um, position that it was when you first applied, right? So if you have gone through this entire process of finding a house, searching for it, um, writing a contract, going through your home inspection process, going through your appraisal process, getting your homeowner's insurance, like if you have done all of that and you get to that end at 6-6 six, six, uh, and, and your credit score has gone below the threshold for what you need, then they're not going to give you that loan. They're not going to say, oh, you got time to fix it. No, the contract that you're in is going to expire because you have a time frame where you need to meet that, right? Mm -hmm. So you're just SOL. You don't want to get to that point, right? You don't want to do all of this work and then not be able to finish or close. So I say give yourself some grace because your credit does fluctuate. And if it fluctuates in this process, you still want to be able to finish. So I say target for 660. They can do it at six, you know, 640 is still favorable. They can do it lower. But if you give yourself that flexibility, and then most first-time homebuyer or down payment assistance programs, they want you to be at least 620. So again, give yourself some grace. Yeah, definitely. Get it as high as you can. Yeah. And I do want you to talk about um, how credit, um, it is like a big factor in home ownership, mm -hmm. but that is not all that the lenders are looking for. They really want a full scope of your financial profile, how you yes. spend your money. Um, taxes and things like that. So can you break that down for the listeners? Yeah. So that's all important. So let me just say this. You can have excellent credit and not be able to buy a house. Mm -hmm. so I want people to understand that too. Like <laughs> it has to be your whole financial profile. So um, what I say, so first lenders are looking for your debt to income ratio. And your debt to income ratio is, it's a monthly number. It is um, the amount of money that you bring in on a monthly basis. So your gross income and you take that gross income and you divide it by your gross monthly expenses and monthly expenses. I call them um, credit expenses. So expenses that are on your credit report. Right. Um, so that is like your student loan. That's your um, car payment. Um, if you, if you've, you know, have a loan on your car. Um, th those are your credit cards, things of that sort. It's not like your cell phone bill. It's not like your electric bill. It's not like, um, you know, your water bill. It's not that because those things don't show up on your credit unless, of course, it's delinquent. But those are not your monthly credit debt. That's not that. So they're looking at um, that number and the way they qualify you, it comes up in, the, in a percentage. Now, a lender can go up to 50% um, of your debt to income ratio, they can go up to 50%. They can lend you as much as 50% of your income. Um, so what they're doing is they're, they're taking your monthly expenses that credit debt, um, and they're putting, uh, how much you would qualify for. Like if you qualify for a mortgage, how much you would be able to pay, um, monthly. And they're, that's how they determine like how much you qualify for housewise, monthly payment wise, that kind of thing. They kind of back into it. Mm -hmm. um, so you want to um, keep your monthly exp expenses as low as possible. Um, uh, credit so wise. Yeah, credit and wise. And I think, I think that's where a lot of people, um, especially for the ones that reach out to me, Mm -hmm. hate to put anyone on blast but I'm really talking to 
just saying in general, but um, that credit reporting piece is essential. I know a lot of people don't want credit cards, don't like credit cards, would try to avoid um, car notes and things like that. Or, you know, have never attended school, not that it's a knock to anyone, but they don't have the student loans. So their profile is really um, non-existent. Mm -hmm. So it's like you kind of need these things to be able to build up that financial profile because that's what lenders are going to be looking for. Um, they're going to be wanting to see how you handle um, debt, you know, yeah. money from other banks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, and that's also something that I, um, you know, share with people as a financial person. I'm like, don't stay away from credit cards. I, credit, not having a credit card is detrimental to your financial profile. Yeah. Like it really is. Now, when I say get one or get two or get three or get four, cause I, I live, I live by the get four credit cards motto like that's me, me i'm gonna have four of them right you have at least four and there's a reason why i say that we could talk about that too um but uh, but not to use them like don't go out and swipe every single car all the time no the card is there to give you an a on your credit profile so like you can have the car and it, you know if you're not using it each month they're still giving you good grades Right now, they want you to use it. They want you to use it. You can swipe, you know, once a year, get some gas or whatever, just pay it off or whatever. But having it gives you that good grade. So it's like an easy class when, you know, it's it's an easy class when you're, um, uh, you know, like when you're in school, it's an easy, it's an easy A. And you mm -hmm. need as many A's as you can get because trust me, something's going to go wrong. I mean, it's life. Things happen. So you just need something to counterbalance um, those those good grades. So like you have to look at your credit report as like a report card and how many A's, how many easy A's can you get in order for, you know, it to your report card to look good. Yes. And those those small secured cards um, for people who are just starting out are like easy A's. That's like the easiest thing you could do, especially because and then it kind of um, commits you to you're more committed when you have to put your own money down. I like those more than people that are beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's definitely good. I mean, secure credit cards will, will give you your lifeline back. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely helpful. Yes. This is a lot of good information. And hopefully we didn't scare anybody off of the, the process <laughs> of buying a house because this is a lot of good information, but a lot of information. <laughs> so, so what we're talking about are, I think, Every So all of this doesn't apply to every person. And that's why I say it's not really a one size fit all. So you have to like, as a, um, like as a home buyer, you have to know, come to like, come to the expert and let them tell you what it is that you need, because it might not be what you heard your friend needed or, or what your cousin needed or what your other family member needed. It may not even be the same for you. I have some clients who come through the process, right? They get, they get, you know, approved and they get, you know, they go under contract, they find their house and their loan does not come back with many or any conditions at all. And so let me just explain what that means is once you go under contract, you get your pre-approval and then you get like a, once you un, once you're under contract, you get a commitment for the lender to give you money. And with that commitment is usually some stipulations. Right. They'll say, OK, we'll give you a loan as long as you do X, Y and Z. Right. So you have to, you know. You have to give us your pay stubs. You have to give us your, and those things should be done early. But yeah. like some people have different circumstances. Some Somebody might have, you know, child support income. They might have to show that they were getting child support consistently for, you know, 12 months or 24 months or what have you, right? Um, but some people, so those are conditions that need to be met in order to, um, um, for them to give you the loan to verify that the income or whatever um some people have to give you know tax documentation and things of that sort but like some people they don't have anything to meet so it just depends on what your what your profile is and how easy it is for you mm -hmm. so the more complicated your profile is the more you'll have to do however none of this is impossible everything is possible like you can do this it's not hard you just need to be patient with yourself you need to not give up early and you need to know that whatever they're asking for is something that you've already been through so you should be able to go back and right. you know navigate that process 
Most definitely. So, so give us a drop us a gem. What is a hidden gem that you would tell uh, a a person starting off in the real estate industry, looking for home ownership, looking to get into the flipping market, just getting to the real estate realm, whether it be home buying? What is a gem that you would share um, for people to take away from um, this episode? In real estate in general. Or about life. (laughs) Yeah, like, I mean, I'm just, I mean, I was going to say, like, real estate is the way in which you can make money, right? Like, Mm -hmm. um, it's just so, it's the easiest opportunity for you to make a lump sum money at one time, right? And I think that that's what we overlook. Like, so many people work so hard um, and invest, you know, so much time, like, at work, right? Um, and they get the, you know, you get your paycheck or whatever, but like you can do other things that will push you because nobody's ever really going to get rich from working at nine to five. I'm sorry. That's, it's just not going to happen. Right. You don't like, you don't have the time you exhaust yourself. Right. um, Right. So real estate is that thing that can get you over that hump that can give you that push for whatever it is that you want to do, whether it's, you know, some people have dreams to do other stuff like, you know, open in the catering uh, business or, you know, being something else other than what they're currently doing. If they do something in real estate, just something, you know, um, and and to give them that push. And there's other things that can do it too, but real estate is, you know, the way in which it's been done repeatedly with the best results. And it's not going anywhere. It's not. You, it's indispensable. Yeah, yeah, you. everybody needs shelter, right? Like, <laughs> they, they. I mean, we're low on, we are low on inventory right now, which is why it's a seller's market because not enough houses, <laughs> Yeah. So I just so want to ask um, yeah, really quick before we jump off and we start telling people how to contact you and all of that stuff. Do you think that this pandemic kind of put us in this position, being as though um, a lot of leeway was given to people who are in um, like, let's just say people were in bad positions before COVID, but then COVID hit. So now banks are extending, you know, several options for people to be able to stay in their homes. No one's really moving, things like that. Is that why that it's a seller's market? That's part of the reason. reason. Yeah. So COVID, and it's been a seller's market before. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's an even playing field. It's not a seller's or a buyer's market. It's just, you know, you know, meeting of the minds. And that's generally how it is for the most part. Like, um, but yes, COVID definitely um, made it more of a seller's market. Um, j- because, you know, um, you know, there are, there was not a lot of activity with homes, like home selling, um, and the inventory being low, it definitely played a part of that. Um, but it also helped in that people were realizing now that their home, they needed more space. Right. Um, so it kept our market, like our, the real estate industry during COVID was one of the, the, in, one of the industries that actually stayed afloat. Right. Mm-hmm. So it helped it. You know, it was a split. It like put us in the seller's market, but it kept all the activity going in real estate. Right. Like this boom happened. Right. So COVID was I think it was a good thing. I mean, meaning, you know, helping our, you know, because a lot of people are they have more equity now than they ever had before. Yeah. That's because of, of the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was talking to um, someone who works for Wells Fargo. and She was kind of giving me some inside scoop of how um, they've been helping the people who have mortgages with them, like pushing payments to the back of the loan, mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you could apply for up to several modifications. And I was just like, wow, a lot of people um, where in a case where they lost employment and everything, this kind of saved everyone. So I think we've been talking about this for a while, how COVID kind of was a blessing in disguise mm-hmm. um, in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Um so, yeah. Yeah. So um, modifications are good because it'll help you stay in your house. It'll adjust the terms of your loan to be better. Or if you were not able to make a payment, um, they'll put that those payments on the back end of your loan. However, mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest, a modification. Uh, yeah. A modification would eat into your equity. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, again, there's pros and cons with everything. Whatever works for you now. Absolutely. Do it. Um 
So, you know, like like with renting and buying, there's pros and cons to each. It's, you know, when you make adjustments to your loan, you're also, you know, um, making um, some, you know, you're you're sacrificing some things, too. On the back end. Yeah. Yes. Where can everyone reach out to you? Everybody wants the ultimate experience. Um, <laughs> India is very, 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 very seasoned in her field, very knowledgeable, as you can tell. Um, so if you're interested or even have questions, they can reach out to you. Yes. So please yeah. do. Um, uh, I get joy out of, you know, kind of helping and, um, you know, educating my clients. Like um, my Google reviews are out there. If you go to my website, indiahall.com, I-N-D-I-A-H-A-L-L.com, all of my resources are there. Um, my uh, social media handles are there. Um, I have some information. You can um, um, book a private consultation with me there. So any information that you need is on my website, indiahall.com. Yeah, yes. and we will be sure to include this information in the description and you'll see flyers floating around if you follow us on social media at the 30 Girl and the 30 Girl Podcast. This was fun and yeah. informative. Really, and very informative. Good Thank information. Thank you so much, ladies. I appreciate yeah, it so much. It it's a, a great pleasure. experience. Yes. Thank you so oh, much. Well. And thank you all for listening. Tia, did you want to say anything else? Oh, no, I'm good. I'm just taking it all in. <laughs> I know. I have a whole page of notes. I hope everyone was able to take notes. Um, yeah. And we'll have to catch up again once the market shifts, just mm -hmm. to see, just to see just what's to going on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for listening again, India. Thank you for joining the thank 30 Girl you. Podcast. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye.